war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, good afternoon. Right now, it is 106 on this rainy primary day, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program, you know what, maybe after you vote, or if you're out and about right now, and the rain is definitely uh, slowing down quite a bit, looks like the rest of the afternoon is just going to be some puddles, but as you just heard the forecast, actually going to be a pretty nice week once we get past this a little bit so we're going to have a little bit of more light rain just a little bit this afternoon and then it seems like it's going to be clear and then the next few days tomorrow is going to be beautiful as just heard uh wednesday through saturday nothing but sunshine so it'll be a delightful great time to head over the lodge pub and eatery 40 breakneck hill road in lincoln great meal is waiting for you they had a nice crowd for the patriots game in the lounge on sunday they had a good crowd there for monday night football Delicious food, consistently great. They're waiting for you. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. So I want to bring you up to speed on today is primary day. Rhode Island in New Hampshire, by the way. That's another race uh, worth watching. So Ted Nisi at WPRI is definitely um, someone worth watching. Always be on a pulse. I want to go through his, um, he puts on Twitter, the 2018 numbers, a little inflated, includes all mail ballots coming by the end of the primary. Today's number is mail ballots as of noon. You can turn them in a drop box until 8 o'clock. Thanks to the, um, so too soon to say, but voter turnout is decent so far. Exact comparison possible due to changes in how people voted post-COVID. 2018 voter turnout as of 12.30, using the final mail ballot total was 65,000. Turnout today, as of noon, 57,000. However, that doesn't have the final mail ballot total. So I believe that's going to be higher. So they're saying as of 12 noon, 65,000 people have already voted. So I believe, as I'm staying with my prediction, I think people are voting far too early. There's too many mail ballots. Dan McGowan puts Providence was at uh, 9,628 votes, counting in person, early, and mail as of noon. He writes, I'm still thinking turnout's going to be around 24,000, but the under might be the right bet. So there are already close to 10,000 votes in the city of Providence. But we'll see where they go in or how that comes down. Um, polls are open until 8 o'clock in Rhode Island, as a matter of fact. So um, I voted earlier. Um, let's see. You, yes, you do need your license vote. A lot of people have, have uh, voted already. Let me just check out Governor McKee voted this morning. All the candidates for governor. So let me just see some of the uh, television packages. Now, today is normally the day. Media wants to be somewhat cautious. There's a lot of rumors that are out there. Someone sent me a rumor earlier. Uh, the rain does seem to be subsiding. I think the the rain is going to hold some people back. Also, how about the man charged with Woodsocket double stabbing? I'm seeing that story. Um, let's see. I may play that. And then uh, President Biden was in... Massachusetts yesterday. Let me play this. Man facing two people stabbed during a fight in Woodsocket last night. Jamie Warner arrested charged two counts of felony assault, possession of a knife. Let me see if I can, uh, Channel 12 has a quick package on this. We now have a mugshot of the uh, of the defendant. Alright, so here is... Attack that happened in Woonsocket last night. Police tell us they took a man into custody. Reportedly, after a dispute broke out between neighbors, police have accused Jamie Warner of stabbing two other men. Their injuries not life threatening. The suspect was injured in the scuffle when police say someone threw a hammer at him. Oh. Police are still investigating today. You know, I um, 
whenever you hear a stabbing, because it's not of a gunshot, it doesn't get as much attention. But as someone that I have seen some of the stab wounds, it, I someone I was dealing with a family that wanted me to do a story on this son that was stabbed, and he was stabbed in the back of the head. It was like it is like something out of a horror film. So Rhode Island voters head to the polls. Let me hear some of this. This is a Channel 12 package as well. Um, I mean, this is the big buildup, folks. In all eyes, I mean, there are two big races, the mayor of Providence, but the governor's race. Now, Brett Smiley should win, but I, no one talks about all the illegals that are voting. All right, let's hear. This is the Channel 12 package. As we begin our coverage of the Rhode Island primary today, voters across the state will be deciding who will be the Democratic and Republican candidate. Here we go. It's on the ballot for the November election. Most competitive races are on the Democratic side, beginning with Rhode Island governor. There are the five candidates that you know by now and, well, we hopefully know by now, right? By this time tomorrow, we should know which Democrat will be on the November ballot for the second congressional seat. The winner will face Republican Alan Fong to see who will succeed retiring Congressman Jim Langevin in Washington. Also tracking the Providence mayor's race, the winner of today's primary expected to succeed, Jorge Alorza in January, as there are no Republicans or independents in this race. Kate Walsh, live in Providence right now, looking ahead to the big day. Well, guys, we're live at Summit Commons this morning in Providence, and since you were just talking about the race for Providence mayor, we should mention that about 15 minutes ago or so, one of the candidates, Nerva LaFortune, was here to cast her own ballot. This happens to be her precinct where she votes. So she was here, and then she said she plans on going to other places across the city to try to get out the vote, and she's not alone. All of the candidates are doing the same thing. She's running against Gonzalo Cuervo and Brett Smiley to be the new mayor of Providence, and we'll find out that when polls close tonight at 8 o'clock. And that's really what candidates across the state for all of the races are doing doing today after they vote themselves. Many actually voted early or they sent in mail-in ballots and that's become a popular uh, thing to do, especially for the primary this year following the pandemic. And uh, we got an update from the Board of Elections last night on the numbers leading up to today. There were 14,910 Rhode Islanders who voted early and they received 13,083 mail-in ballots. We won't know the results of those, of course, until they're all tallied up with today's votes and ballots that are cast in person after polls close at 8 o'clock tonight. Now, 12 News spoke with voters. The first man was waiting for today to cast a ballot. The second man we spoke with said he was dropping off his mail-in ballot at the time. Every vote you put in there directly affects you. So you want to make sure you know what you're voting for and who you're voting for. The vote who we wanted in on the the job. Everybody lies. (laughs) You pick the best, you think. You know, having done this for about a decade or so, coming out to the polls every year, I can say the primary this year actually does seem pretty uh, busy. There's a constant flow of people going in and out in this first hour that the polls have been open, at least here in Providence at this location. So only time will tell when we see the results later on tonight. Now we're live in Providence. I'm Kate Walsh, 12 News. Now, make no mistake, folks. Um... Heavy turnout could help Helena folks because of the undecideds. Heavy turnout does not help Governor McKee. That is definitely something to watch as the night goes in. And I don't care what anyone says. The weather definitely comes into a factor because, because it has been it's such a lousy day that anyone that um that does in fact, um, anyone that does in fact, if they're on on the, you know, kind of on the fence, maybe I'll vote, maybe I won't, not such a big deal, they're, they're not going to be out there. They're not, especially we haven't had, um, haven't had that much rain. So now I also wanna keep an eye I'm seeing Alex Jones is in more trouble. We'll touch on that on Thursday. Um, I'm a little broiled out. I mean, again, I I just can't watch any more of that coverage. I know the, the networks are still running some of the coverage of that, but 
That is quite the odd. Ten days of mourning in the royal family for the queen. Ten days. And they're still going through all that. Um, I don't know. You know what story is really interesting? Is the situation with the um, the that public official in Las Vegas that killed the reporter? That story is wild. Listen, listen. Uh, GMA had um, they spoke with one of his coworkers. I just want you to hear this. This is really interesting. Over a critical article he wrote. The co-worker of the Las Vegas official accused of the crime is speaking out. Errol Reshef here with the exclusive interview. Good morning, Ariel. Good morning to you, George. The politician set to face a judge today and overnight in a new criminal complaint. Prosecutors calling this crime willful, deliberate, and premeditated. Now, one of the suspect's colleagues is sharing what she says he was like in the workplace before the journalist's death. This morning, a Las Vegas politician now formally charged with murdering an investigative journalist as one of his former co-workers speaks out to ABC News about what she says she witnessed in the workplace before her boss was charged with the crime. And I realized that that it was true and that Jeff had been found murdered. My first thought was Robert Tejas. Wow. And then I thought, no, it couldn't be. Until his arrest last week, Rita Reed served for three years in the office alongside Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tejas. She says as a boss, Tejas caused emotional stress and created a hostile work environment. He came into my office several times in a rage. You saw stress every day in multiple employees, and it just became worse and worse. Reed also alleges Tejas had an inappropriate relationship with an employee that rocked the office dynamic because of preferential treatment he allegedly gave her. Tejas has denied he created a toxic environment or had an inappropriate relationship, saying that he only turned to the colleague as a trusted friend for advice. One of our staff was told during one of the complaints that he had the right to have favorites in the office if he wanted. Reed says she became so appalled by his behavior, she ran against Tejas in the Democratic primary, and she and her co-workers approached longtime Las Vegas Review Journal investigative reporter Jeff Gehrman with their allegations. So we decided that we would go public. We would try to talk to a journalist here in our community and see if somebody felt it was worthy of reporting. Gehrman wrote a series of scathing articles on Tejas' alleged toxic behavior. Primarily, there were some things in social media where he was voicing that anger against the articles. Tejas venting on Twitter and in one blog post taking aim at Gehrman's reporting, writing, it was so ugly that you almost had to believe it was true. I can understand why you might have with the writer's skill at pushing buttons. With each article, Reed says Tejas' combative response caused anxiety among the staff. He ultimately conceded the primary to Reed, but would remain in office through January. I guess maybe I felt there might be an encounter one day or an altercation, a verbal altercation, but I just, I could never have imagined this. Authorities believe Tejas cased Gehrman's home, lying in wait, according to a criminal complaint, then disguised in a reflective vest and large hat, fatally stabbed him as alleged retribution. The victim, 69-year-old Jeff Gehrman, was... The politician taken into custody five days later after a standoff with police. Did you do this? Tell us anything? Investigators say they found DNA evidence linking Tejas to the gruesome scene. DNA recovered from the victim's hands under his fingernails. They do identify the DNA of the defendants. Reed believes Gehrman's commitment to their story cost him his life. His death was absolutely devastating to myself. And my co-workers, the people that he advocated for, he was our hero. I mean, we can never thank him enough. Wow. We reached out to Tejas' attorney. So far, they are not commenting. Tejas is due in court later this morning, as we mentioned. He is currently being held without bail and has not yet entered a plea. Clark County says when the allegations of a hostile work environment arose a couple of months ago, it no longer had employees report to Tejas, and the county is now cooperating with investigators. But the bottom line here, guys, is there is a journalist who lost his life. Very much so. And folks, good afternoon. Right now it's one twenty. Um, I mean, that story is really... What a nutcase that guy is. Big, 
time. Now, how about the fact Ukraine, thanks to the help of the United States and others, Ukraine is really, uh, uh, maybe I'll play that story a little bit later. Ukraine is really uh, coming back. Now, dozens of Trump's, Trump associates subpoenaed. They're really going after this January 6th investigation. Listen to this. This was on GMA. Trump, the Justice Department has now issued dozens of subpoenas to people close to the former president, seeking information about possible criminal efforts to overturn the election. Chief Justice, of course, I'm here. Thomas is tracking the case from Washington. Good morning, Pierre. George, good morning. As you said, DOJ officials now moving quickly. Their investigation of the January 6th insurrection and the 2020 campaign escalating with roughly 40 new subpoenas issued to some of Trump's closest associates. They range from former White House officials to staffers from his 2020 presidential campaign to people still working with him today. Among those subpoenaed, former NYPD Commissioner Bernard Carrick and Trump's longtime senior advisor, Dan Scavino. And we've learned that the phone of at least one of Trump's top advisors was seized. Sources telling ABC News the focus of the subpoenas appears to be the alleged scheme to have alternate or fake electors come to Washington to delay or block the certification of Joe Biden as president. And investigators are now asking questions about Trump's fundraising efforts that were built on the lie that he won the election, George. Here, meanwhile, on that documents case, uh, the Justice Department has agreed to one of Trump's picks for a special master. What does that mean for the case? George, there's been some back and forth on names for a potential special master. DOJ and Trump's attorneys each put forth two names. So out of the four, there is one all sides look like they can live with. A former federal judge who has some experience with national security matters, George. Mm. Thomas, thanks very much, Michael. You know, they are not letting up on this in any way. This is a new development, by the way. Now, Stephen Miller was on with Laura Ingram. And she asked him about um, if they took his phone. I'm going to play this. This New York Times reporting. Um, In the last week, the Justice Department has issued 40 subpoenas, seized two phones of Trump associates over January 6th. Your response to this uh, less than two months before a midterm election? Well, we come after your phone, that, Steve? That's, that's the point, though, isn't it? I mean, it's already, of course, it's already been, well, it's been publicly reported that I was on the list of, of subpoenas in the New York Times. But that's the point, right? When are they doing this? Right before the midterms. What is this all about? What has it always been about? We've had this conversation on your show many times. It's about using the power of the Justice Department to influence our election. It's about the partisanship that has infected the DOJ at the highest levels. And everyone who treasures the rule of law in America should be terrified about what is happening to our country. Now, apparently, if they can get, they get into your phone, they can pull up more things than, even if you erase things on your phone, they can get into encrypted uh, messaging that could also come into play. Notice we have not seen that Christina Bob anymore. Um, she, I don't think she's turned up anywhere. Let me hear. I think there's a little bit more with Stephen Miller. He wouldn't answer if they took his phone. Some pretty high-profile people got their phones taken. Um, let me let me just find that again. That's the the J six stuff. At first, I thought it was a waste, but I'm not I'm not convinced of that anymore. All right, let me see. Um, I don't. This is different with this. Um, what was going on behind the scenes with the the fake electors? That's um, that's different. That's a new development. That they were going to have fake electors come in. Let me see if I um, if it went on. I'll tell you, Laura's she's she's good. Obviously, but I. I mean, was that really going on? That they 
who came up with the idea for the fake electors? That doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> to put it mildly, let me see if they where where they have that. I think there was a little more of that interview. Um, hmm. I had a. I I know that they are. Th- th- that's a lot of subpoenas they put out. Things are definitely ramped up. I was reading that now it it takes a while, obviously, to. Uh, you know, go through all that stuff. So it's one thing. It's it's one thing when they they are able to get some information, but then the second part of that is it can take a lot of time to then fully go through everything. So what they've been able to get. I think this is interesting about the taking of the phones. I just think you think of like, hey, Tom Brady, he destroyed his phone during the deflate gate thing. Um, you wonder if maybe perhaps some of these individuals in President Trump's orbit, if it may have been a good idea to destroy their phones <laughs> instead of instead of obviously then they're they're getting them basically intact. Um, let me just find out. I want to see if it's it's a longer cut. That's true that he won't tell her whether or not they they took his phone. So. That doesn't sound positive. Um, Stephen Miller. <laughs> he is hated. Um, let me. Um, the 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 classified documents thing. I I I'm not. I don't think. That's as big a deal as the J6 stuff. And and we're learning more about what was going on behind the, behind the scenes with some of the, the January 6th stuff, which doesn't sound positive in any way. Put it that way. All right, let me, it's 128. Folks, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, it is primary day. Apparently, pretty good turnout. But I, I also want to stress that there's been uh, a big, you know, people were doing the early voting. People were doing the mail ballots. Polls close at eight o'clock, which I like. So we're going to know tonight, hopefully, uh, unless it goes into the mail ballots. The big question is who's going to emerge from the Democrat primary. Will it be Nellie Gorbea, Secretary of State? Will it be Governor Dan McKee? Or will it be Helena Folks? I mean, that's the big one. The the others that are on the ballot, like that Matt Brown, I mean, there's just, I don't know what kind of campaign that was. He also didn't put forth as many candidates as they initially said they would. Let's also be very, very clear about that. So now... Let's get to some other sound that we have, starting with uh, President Biden in Massachusetts yesterday, having a tough time pronouncing the name of the country. This portion of the program, folks, and I want to mention, I um, I had Jay Freitas, Jamie, came over to my home. Do you want to get rid of, and you want, you never want some of the moss and algae as I call it, the dreaded green stuff. You don't want that on a surface, on a roof. You want to contact Jamie's Power Wash. Call them, 401-837-4545. So on my roof, I had some of that, and it happens. You know, suddenly the, the mildew, the moss, the algae. So I contacted Jamie's Power Wash at 401 401- 837-4545. And he does professional power washing, deck staining, 
He is tremendous. And what a job. I mean, what he uses, it doesn't damage the surface. And it looks like we have a brand new roof. Call him today, 401-837-4545. Commercial and residential. Jamie's Power Wash, 401-837-4545. Now, right now, today is Tuesday, September 13th. And it's 1.31 in the afternoon. And you're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, some other headlines that I'm just checking. The mystery of the Don Meat. Now, supposedly, the president, the reason why President Trump went to Virginia is he wanted to talk with some attorneys. And it seemed like under the guise of a golf game because they were moving along and they were out on his own golf course. So apparently he does not feel comfortable talking anywhere inside, somewhat afraid that it could be tapped or bugged. So that's interesting. Phones of top aides seized by the Department of Justice. Save America faces scrutiny amid intensifying legal probes. Judge, no delay for organization's criminal tax trial. And now there is a question. Has Merrick Garland botched the Mar-a-Lago case? It's possible. It's possible. What is not positive, I don't think, is just how much President Trump remains on the front burner. I do get email from people. Let me also see this. Alex Jones could face ruinous damages as second Sandy Hook trial begins. But I I receive... um, an email from someone that they they don't like when I talk about the Trump, whenever the Trump stuff is in the news, they don't like that I even mention it. And they said, everything the New York Times has printed has been lies. So then I ask, could could you tell me what, what did the New York Times print that was wrong? And then they never respond. You can't just say everything. But I... Um, You know, I, 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 I know some people want to just operate that way. They want to operate like ostrich head in the sand. I don't, I just never see a situation where that benefits you. Let's see. Justice Department seizes phones of top Trump aides in the January 6th inquiry. The J6 stuff seems to be more of a focus than the missing documents. I'll just say this, folks, at 133. He shouldn't have had the documents. This thing, whole thing could have been avoided. I didn't like the legal people that he had. He was obviously given poor legal advice. Um, I don't know if they're going to charge him with having those documents. There's no reason to have the documents. They were not his documents. They belonged to the government. That was poorly handled. And back in June... When they visited Mar-a-Lago and then that Christina Bob signed a document saying that that was it. There was no other documents. And then, you know, that they, they then found much more. That, like, what, what is the purpose of that? I don't, I don't understand that. Justice Department of C, well, I'll say this. That, that, that is a self-inflicted wound. I mean, we're, this, we're the United States of America. You know, her signature was on that. Like, who do they think they're blanking around with here? I, none of that is positive. Justice Department officials have seized the phones of two top advisors to former President Trump and blanketed his aides with 40 subpoenas. Substantial escalation in the investigation efforts to subvert the 2020 election. The seizures of the phones, coupled with a widening effort, to obtain information from those who are on President Trump after the election represents some of the most aggressive steps the department has taken thus far that led to the January 6th assault on the Capitol by a pro-Trump mob. You know, folks, I still regret not being there, but I'll also say this as much as and I'll, I'll admit I've dismissed it and it was nothing more than a rowdy protest. Everyone that watched what happened on January 6th, we we saw much worse the summer of 2020. Billions in damage. But it still doesn't justify what went down, what happened on J6. 
The extent of the investigation has come into focus in recent days, even though it's been overshadowed by the government's legal reach with over the separate inquiry into the handling of the presidential records, including highly classified materials that he kept at his residence in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. He shouldn't have had them. No one's going to tell me, well, he declassified them. I, I, I don't believe that. Federal agents took phones last week from two people. Now, Boris Efston, in-house counsel who helped coordinate the legal efforts. You know, I've actually communicated with him on Twitter. He is definitely on the inside. He is an inside player, Boris. And Mike Roman, a campaign strategist who was the director of election day operations for the Trump campaign in 2020. Boris and Roman linked to a critical element of the bid to hold on to power. The effort to name slates of people, electors, pledged to Trump from swing states won by Biden as part of a plan to block or delay the Electoral College victory. They, of course, are not responding. The names of those receiving the latest round of subpoenas have dribbled out. Investigators casting a wide net on a range of issues. Now, Dan Scavino was also subpoenaed here. One of the recipients, here it is. Dan Scavino, former social media director, he rose from working at a Trump-owned golf course to one of the most loyal West Wing aides and has remained an advisor. Stanley Woodward, one of his lawyers, declined to comment. Another was, how about Bernie Carrick, former New York City police commissioner, promoted claims of voter fraud alongside Rudy Giuliani, was issued a subpoena. Um, folks, the danger here is if you run into, you, you, you don't want to get, you don't want to commit perjury. They are going into such a dangerous game. They have no idea what the government has. And then you, you enter into perjury traps here. The subpoenas seek information in connection with the fake electors plan. For months, associates of Mr. Trump have received subpoenas related to other aspects of the investigation into efforts to cling to power. But in a new line, some of the latest subpoenas focus on the activities of the Save America Political Action Committee, the main political fundraising conduit for Mr. Trump since he left office. The fact that the Justice Department is now seeking information related to fundraising comes as the House is examining the January 6th attack has raised questions about money they solicited under the premise of fighting election fraud. The new subpoenas encompass a wide variety of those in Trump's orbit, from low-level aides to most senior advisors. The Justice Department spent more than a year focused on investigating hundreds of rioters, blah, blah, blah. Started issuing grand jury subpoenas. Ali Alexander, he came up with the Stop the Steal, prominent organizer, Stop the Steal group, helped plan the march to the Capitol. After Mr. Trump gave a speech that day at the ellipse to the White House. Folks, I will never get over not being there. I, I regret it every day. While it remains unclear how many subpoenas have been issued, the information they sought was broad. According to one subpoena obtained by the New York Times, they asked for any records of communication from people who organized, spoke, or provided security at the rally at the ellipse. They also requested information about any members of the executive legislative branches may have taken part in planning or executing the rally or tried to obstruct, influence, impede, or delay the certification of the presidential election. By early summer, the grand jury had taken another turn as several subpoenas were issued. At least 20 of those subpoenas were sent out, sought information from communication with several lawyers, including Giuliani and John Eastman. <laughs> Let's have trial by combat. Around the same time, federal investigators seized Eastman's cell phone and the phone of another lawyer, Jeffrey Clark, whom Trump had sought at one point to install as the acting attorney general. <laughs> he took his phone. In December 2020, he helped draft a letter to Brian Kemp saying the state's election results been marred by fraud, recommending Kemp convene a special session to create a slate of pro-Trump electors. At least some of the new subpoenas also requested all records the recipients had turned over. So, listen, I recognize right now at 140, some people are rolling their eyes. What about the laptop? What about Hillary? What about, what about, what about? 
not going anywhere. And what what is frightening is all of this is allowing this to reemerge. This is the United States Camara, for God's sake. The United States America, in all her glory. I mean, they are allowing him to rise literally from the ashes. It is just inconceivable is what it is. Let me find this. He panics on stage trying to find the exit. This was yesterday. He doesn't know where to go. He finishes the speech and he is wandering around. God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you for listening. All right, so that's President Biden yesterday. He walks right, he walks left. He's walking left, he stops. He's walking back to... Jack, come on back up. Oh, now he's calling someone back up. Now, wow, the band stops. There's Caroline Kennedy. Now the band starts up again. What a disaster. Now he's looking right. And now he's walking. Who is coordinating this? Now he's walking off to his left. Wow, what a disaster. <sighs> hmm. I don't know. But listen, the more the more time that is spent not focusing on Biden is good for Biden. Just remember that. The more that President Trump remains in the headlines, it's all good for Biden. That's exactly what they want, as a matter of fact. Nice distraction. Um, hey, Stacey Abrams should go down defeat in Georgia. Let's see. Um, let me play that again. Laura Ingram, Stephen Miller. He wouldn't answer if they took his phone. Boy, she's gutsy for even asking. Over January 6th. Here we go. Your response to this uh, less than two months before a midterm election. Well, come after your friends, that's, that's the point, though, isn't it? I mean, it's already, of course, it's already been, well, it's been publicly reported that I was on the list of uh, subpoenas in the New York Times. But that's the point, right? When are they doing this? Right before the midterms. What is this all about? What has it always been about? We've had this conversation on your show many times. It's about using the power of the Justice Department to influence our elections. It's about the partisanship that has infected the DOJ at the highest levels. And everyone who treasures. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I buy all of that. I just don't. Um, let me just see also, let's see. Inflation is still a big story here. This, this is um, the fact that Biden is even back in it is is just a terrible, absolutely terrible. Is Stuart Varney who I like? All right, I want to get back to folks. It's one forty four. Good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM thirteen eighty and ninety nine point nine FM. Now one forty five. Excuse me. On this one forty five, on this primary day, this portion of the program is brought to you. By Matthews Oil, they will keep you warm. 24-hour emergency service, trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil today, 401-942-7500. For over four generations, easily kept your home comfortable and safe. The cleanest grades of heating oil, call Matthews Oil today, 401-942-7500. 90 years of service premier dealer in Rhode Island oil dealer, Matthews Oil Company. Call them 401-942-7500. Start making your plans for winter now. Matthews Oil Company 
7500. I want to play the Channel 10 piece segment on the stabbing last night. Two people stabbed in Woonsocket. Let me just play that. And then also, folks, it is primary day. The polls are open until 8 o'clock. So if you are an unaffiliated voter, you go in, which I did, and then you request which ballot that you want, and then you're good to go. Well, I think it's a short piece here from Channel 10. Tenants in an apartment house sending both to the hospital. It happened here on Mason Street near 5th Street. The police chief tells us both suffered non-life-threatening injuries, but one person is in custody. Uh, you know, that um, that's one of those stories. Uh, someone recovering from a knife attack. You know, this is also many times you have people shot and... They, it's not fatal, but the cost at the hospital is just absolutely overwhelming, as a matter of fact. It's incredible, the cost. How about that big uh, melee? I have this uh, video on my website, depetro.com. Brawl breaks out inside a Providence club. Now, I've been outside that. It's on Broad Street, and it's a Dominican club, I believe. And that was... Um, I'm telling you, I haven't seen a fight like that in a long time since the movie Roadhouse. This is the Channel 12 uh, piece on it. Here we go. Breaks out at a Providence club. Fist feet chairs. It was a wild scene, as you can see right here. Police have made one arrest. 12 News reporter Matt Paddock spoke with police and the Board of Licenses about what's next for the establishment. Matt? Well, this video has been making its rounds on social media. And what you're seeing is a massive brawl inside of a Providence club, Nisuenyong. Now, this happened over the weekend, and no emergency meeting has been set at this point. But the Board of Licenses has a meeting on Wednesday where this incident will be discussed. Empty beer cans and bottles littering Broad Street today. But less than 24 hours ago, Providence business Nisuenyong Nyon looked a lot different. You're looking at videos sent to 12 News from the inside of the Broad Street establishment. Shares beer bottles, and food being launched through the club. Anytime we see a violent incident, our number one concern is trying to confirm that it would be safe for patrons to attend. Different groups from inside can be seen throwing punches in what appears to be a chair being used as a weapon. I know that an emergency hearing has not been requested yet, but I also know the licensing unit is still investigating the evidence they have available. And it's not just the Board of Licenses investigating. Providence Police say they've arrested 20-year-old Alexander Burgo Serta for possession of a gun without a license. After a fight broke out outside of the club. A couple officers going by saw a fight in front. Uh, they went in uh, to break it up as he was grabbing one of the... Uh, one arrest. Uh, and he felt a hot object uh, in his fanny pack. Uh, turned out to be a ghost gun. Uh, that person was arrested, brought in, and he'll be charged. But police say they're also looking into what happened inside and what led to that <laughs> massive brawl. And we are investigating a disturbance uh, prior to the arrest, which uh, we hear happened inside the club. Oh. And we have reached out to Mies Wayne for a statement, but no, have not heard back at the no side. Way. Live in studio, Matt Paddock, 12 News. Hold on, let me get this straight. The person who owns the club, when they had that Dominican brawl, is not, is not responding? That, boy, that's hard to believe, folks. Folks, it's 149. Good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. On this primary day, again, I will be doing Facebook Live later. We're going to cover the results as they're coming in. Polls close at 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock tonight. So I voted earlier. It was very quiet. But around the state, apparently, there's pretty decent turnout on this uh, primary day. Let's go again. I think this is a good package. This is a... Channel 12 talking about primary day. And Republican candidates on the ballot for the November election. Most competitive races are on the Democratic side, beginning with Rhode Island governor. There are the five candidates that you know by now. And, well, at hopefully don't by now, right? By this time tomorrow, we should know which Democrat will be on the November ballot for the second congressional seat. The winner will face Republican Alan Fung to see who will succeed. Retiring Congressman Jim Langevin in Washington. Also tracking the Providence mayor's race, the winner of today's primary expected to succeed, Jorge Alorza, in January, as there are no Republicans or independents in this race. Kate Walsh, live in Providence right now, looking ahead to the big day.
the big day. Well, guys, we're live at Summit Commons this morning in Providence. And since you were just talking about the race for Providence mayor, we should mention that about 15 minutes ago or so, one of the candidates, Nerva LaFortune, was here to cast her own ballot. This happens to be her precinct where she votes. So she was here and then she said she plans on going to other places across the city to try to get out the vote. And she's not alone. All of the candidates are doing the same thing. She's running against Gonzalo Cuervo and Brett Smiley to be the new mayor of Providence. We'll find out that when polls close tonight at 8 o'clock. And that's really what candidates across the state for all of the races are doing today after they vote themselves. Many actually voted early or they sent in mail-in ballots. And that's become a popular thing to do, especially for the primary this year following the pandemic. And uh, we got an update from the Board of Elections last night on the numbers leading up to today. There were 14,910 Rhode Islanders who voted early and they received 13,083 mail-in ballots. We won't know the results of those, of course, until they're all tallied up with today's votes and ballots that are cast in person after polls close at 8 o'clock tonight. Now, 12 News spoke with voters. The first man was waiting for today to cast a ballot. The second man we spoke with said he was dropping off his mail-in ballot at the time. Every vote you put in there directly affects you. So you want to make sure you know what you're voting for and who you're voting for. The vote who we wanted in on the, on the job. Everybody lies. <laughs> hey, you pick the best, you think. You know, having done this for about a decade or so, coming out to the polls every year, I can say the primary this year actually does seem pretty uh, busy. There's a constant flow of people going in and out in this first hour that the polls have been open, at least here in Providence at this location. So only time will tell when we see the results later on tonight. Now we're live in Providence. I'm Kate Walsh, 12 News. You know, that's a good report. I thought it was it's a good report. It is, um, it is interesting, folks. Again, it is primary day. It's 153. And um, the rain has certainly subsided. And after all the big buildup, we're going to then pave the way for the general. And then we'll start to get into action a little bit more. It is interesting, as I mentioned earlier, <clears throat> that Helena Bonanno, folks, she's the one who's trying to make a last push. So the question is whether or not there's enough momentum. She is finishing strong. She's also finishing with a, a real attack ad on Rhode Island Governor, former mayor of Cumberland, Dan McKee, on on um, really going after him pretty strong. And you just wonder if maybe should have been released earlier. This is the uh, final election day that she is bombarding the airwaves against Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. Lies and false attacks. It's the worst kind of politics. Well, at least he got that right. But it's Dan McKee who's lying. Here's the truth. McKee has the worst job approval of any governor in America. Meyer did an FBI investigation of a contract awarded to his cronies. And McKee refuses to release the subpoena about the scandal served on his administration. Dan McKee lies, scandals, and America's worst governor. Wow. I'm Helena Bonanno, folks. Let's get big things done for Rhode Island. You know, that is her best ad and even the closing question of whether or not it's going to be enough. I don't know. Hmm. She had a final big week. It's tough to tell if it's going to be enough. And remember, Nellie has the voting list. How about Mayor Laura's dismayed over the lack of... uh, backup for voting machines in Providence. And as Justin Katz pointed out yesterday, as <clears throat> as um as Nelly Gorbea just dismissed him, what they now say is if you have a question about ballots or voting, they now label it that it is Trumpian to do that. Mayor Lords are dismayed over no backup plan for express vote machines ahead of the primary. Providence Journal. Mayor Lords lobbed a new round of criticism at the state. Became clear the express vote machines would remain in place for today's primary. 
called for the machines to be removed. Errors appeared on Spanish ballots, some showing the wrong list of candidates, including the mayor himself, who's term limited on his way out of office. The machines are compliant, though, with the Americans with Disability Act, which means they must stay in place to give those an accessible voting option. Board of Elections examined alternatives, but learned it could not bring back the old ADA-compliant machines called Automark. In a letter, a senior account manager indicated it would take four days to transport the machines to polling places around the state. The memo addressed to the Elections Board Executive Director, Robert Raposa, outlined a Herculean amount of work that would be required to set up the 400 machines before they could be transported. Raposa also noted maintenance has not been done on the machines since April of 2020. I mean... During the early voting in 35 cities and towns, express vote machines were used without any problems reported. Four other areas using English and Spanish ballots have not reported any additional issues. While I appreciate the initial willingness to look into it, I'm dismayed to learn there's no backup plan. We're left with the same voting machines, the same Vesta caused a string of problems. The Secretary of State and the Board of Elections should have submitted legislation that outlines roles and responsibility for each step of the process. I trust that legislation will be submitted as soon as the next session begins. The Journal reached out to the office of Gorbea, who's running for governor, and the Elections Board for comment. Chris Hunter, spokesman for the Board of Elections, said the state did not finalize its purchase until near the end of the session last year. At the board meeting on Wednesday, September 7th, the suggestion was made by board member that the board discuss creating request legislation be submitted regarding the Spanish ballots specific to the express vote equipment. This is such a joke. Jonathan Barad, a spokesman for the Secretary of State's office, stated in an email his office, quote, will work with the Board of Elections and the incoming Secretary of State Administration to determine if amendments to the current law are necessary. And then they canceled. They were supposed to have an emergency meeting yesterday, and it was canceled. Raposa knows there'll be a board meeting in the near future to talk about the equipment. I know, but the election, the primary election, is today. So, folks, get out and vote right now. The time is, it's 1.58 on this Tuesday. And this portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Delicious food and drinks, whether you're in the lounge or in the dining room. The weather starting, by the way, tomorrow over the next five days is going to be beautiful. You can sit out on the deck at the Lounge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. So right now on this Tuesday, September 13th, it's primary day in the Ocean State. And also in New Hampshire, Massachusetts was last week. Um, the time is it's one fifty nine. And coming up, you're going to hear the 2 o'clock news. And then we're going to be uh, back on the radio tomorrow at 11. The polls are open for six more hours. Six more hours, and then they close. But we will be doing Facebook Live later with the results. So six more hours, and then we're going to find out who moves on to the general election. It's John DePietro. Stay dry on this Tuesday. Again, visit the website, dipetro.com, and I will be doing Facebook Live later on. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news. WNRI, Socket, W260DC. WNRI.